your coffee and ready to listen to God's Word. And uh, welcome to our guests. Just to let you know a little bit about what we do as we gather. Uh, we come together really to meet with the Lord as His people. God is real. He's alive. He's called us to gather together. And in our gathering together, we encounter Him. And as we sing about Him, as we share uh, in celebration of sacrament as well, remembering um, Christ's death for us, as uh, we just spend time talking with each, each other, as we pray, um, and as we come before his word, God meets with us and we encounter him and we're changed. That's what we're doing. That's why we gather. And we hope as you visit with us, you experience that in some way. You might not be a believer in God, and that's fine. You're very welcome here. Um, we want to be a blessing to you and, and really our, our whole city and the area. Uh, that's what we're called to as Christians, and we're glad you're here if you're in that place. And we do still pray, we, we hope it's okay, that you actually would encounter God uh, in some way and know that he's, He is real and He is here in our midst. So we're grateful for that reality. Uh, by the way, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so it's so welcome. We pray God's blessing on you. Um, we, as a church, uh, Get into the Bible, we go through the Bible, we seek to uh, understand the truths and encounter God through the Bible, and so we are in a new series now, just entering into it today, in uh, the letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter, so 1 Thessalonians, uh, that's uh, in the Bible uh, near the back, you might want to look at the table of contents, uh, we'll project the words as well, and just a, a side note, I just want to encourage you, if you have a Bible in your hands, look down rather than look up, uh, because... The, I mean, it's not a big deal, but I think there's benefit in actually looking and seeing and looking at the words and the things I talk about uh, and knowing that they're right there. And really, my job isn't to uh, just kind of give a nice presentation. My, my desire is to help you see what God says in his word. So it, the interaction ultimately uh, is between you and God. Uh, it's in the context of others, but it's between you and God. Uh, but we'll have it projected as well. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow it up on the screen. So... Turn to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, we'll be there. And as you're turning, let me tell you a, a story and ask you a question. Actually, have you ever considered the importance of encouragement? Just how important encouragement is. There's a story of, of a man named Edward Steichen. I don't know if any of you know who he is. He was actually one of the most prominent uh, photographers in the 20th century. And he's more the first part of the 20th century. Uh, and he, he's, he's famous. But it didn't start out that way for him. At 16, he bought his first camera, and he took a bunch of pictures. Uh, he took 50 different photos, uh, and only one turned out. It was a picture of his sister playing the piano. And uh, Edward's father basically was like, uh, you know, find another job. That's not going to work. Uh, but his mother saw the one picture and saw genius in that one picture of the 50, and, and, and encouraged him. And that made all the difference in Edward's life. Her encouragement convinced him to stick with it, and he went on to become one of the greatest photographers of the 20th century. Encouragement for Edward made all the difference. This letter that we're looking at is, by and large, a letter of encouragement. It's a letter written to a relatively young church. Paul had been there with his team, and had been there a relatively short time. Uh, he had come to Thessalonica. It was a fairly major city, about 100,000 people uh, in that day. 
Uh, he went there and he went uh, to the synagogue and proclaimed the good news of Jesus, God's Messiah, God's King, come to rescue us, God in the flesh, dying on the cross for our sins, rising again on the third day. He proclaimed this good news. And as a result of proclaiming it, and as a result of God's activity, really, many came to believe. Uh, many people in Thessalonica came to believe, both from Jewish backgrounds and non-Jewish or Gentile backgrounds. Most of the Gentiles probably were uh, what were called God-fearers. They would attend the synagogue. They would listen, but they weren't Jewish. They hadn't converted. Uh, and many of these came to faith. And it went really well for a while. Uh, and we don't know how long he was there. Some say it was only three weeks because it says he uh, spoke in the synagogue for three weeks. But it's more likely he was there a little longer. But it wasn't years. It was months, maybe just three months. And he was there for a short time. And then there was an angry mob form, basically. And they chased him out of the city. And he moved on. He, he uh, left some others to help out. But he, he, he had to move on and went to other cities. And after a while, uh, a short while, he started to think about this young church in Thessalonica and be concerned for them. And so he told his team members, look, leave me by myself. You go back and get time with them and make sure they're okay. And uh, so he was burdened for this young church. And after a while, one of his coworkers, actually two of them, came back, and they told him how things were going in Thessalonica. And, and hearing that, he decided to write this letter. And this letter is, by and large, encouragement. Three chapters, really. The first few chapters are encouragement from Paul in many different ways. And then the, the latter two chapters are really uh, encouragement in a different way, kind of exhortation, how to live the Christian life uh, in light of the good news. So this series really is a series on encouragement as we look at First Thessalonians. And, and I trust as we do it, we will be encouraged uh, and we will learn to be encouraging. Both those things, I think, are what God's after in our lives. So we're going to dig in here and learn about encouragement from First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to help us to understand his word, uh, to be encouraged, and to be encouragers as a result of the truths here we find. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you just in the, the, the miracle of your providence, your goodness, your sovereignty. You arranged all those circumstances and that this letter would be written and it would be preserved for us so miraculously to this day so we can read it and read uh, really what are the, the very words uh, of Paul as he wrote to the Thessalonians and really your very words because you inspired him and it's more than man's words. These are your words and we thank you, Lord, that you have intention in these words to uh, learn, to learn about you, to learn about encouragement and Lord, we want to be encouragers as well. So help us listen. Help me, Lord, uh, this morning, uh, aware of my weakness uh, physically and looking to you to, to, as you always do, faithfully visit us and teach us and glorify your name, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Let's read chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you 
Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God's Word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is a book, as I said, and a chapter on encouragement. And, and the reality behind this is that the Thessalonians needed encouragement, and behind that is you and I need encouragement. We need to be encouraged, and maybe to put it in a more helpful, immediate way, your brothers and sisters need you to encourage them. You need to be an encourager. You need to be encouraged. You need to be an encourager. Encouragement is oh so important. And that's the truth I think we learn in this chapter. And so I want to dig in, and I want to look at how Paul encourages. There are specific ways that he encourages the Thessalonians. There are four ways, we'll see. Um, first, he, he reminds them of the evidence of core virtues, faith, hope, and love. So in your notes, you'll see core virtues. He reminds them of evidence of core virtues. Secondly, he reminds them of evidence of God's choosing and his love for them. So God's choosing, point two. He reminds them of evidence of their godly character. Point three, character. And four, he reminds them of the impact of their lives on others, so the compelling lives. Point four. So he reminds them of the evidence of these four things. We see this in this chapter. And it teaches us how to encourage. It teaches us how to be encouraged and how to encourage. So let's dig in and first talk about what we see about the encouragement through reminding them of evidence of these four virtues. That's in verses one through three. Paul starts out this message, this letter. He's greeting them, uh, his team members, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. They are writing to the church of the Thessalonians, uh, and he's greeting them, and he's blessing them. It's, it's a typical way to start a letter. Uh, it's especially mean, meaningful because he's blessing them with the grace and peace of God himself. He's praying God's grace and God's peace on them, which, which are uh, true grace, true peace blessing of unearned favor from God and the peace that he brings that, that passes understanding that is stronger than the circumstances of life that's what he's blessing them with and then he starts to tell them he says we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mention you in our prayers remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ so so the way that he encourages them is he says, guys, we're praying for you. We're praying for you all the time. And in our prayers, we're actually giving thanks for you. Uh, what a wonderful way to encourage somebody. Just to know that you're being prayed for. It's an encouragement, isn't it? When you talk to someone and they say, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, to know, wow, this, this friend 
uh, is supporting me that way. And, and, and probably the most important way we could help someone is just to pray for them. There's other practical things, of course, we're called to. They go together. But to know that someone's praying for you is great encouragement. But it's interesting how Paul uh, doesn't just say, hey, we're praying for you and then move on. He actually says we're giving thanks for you in prayer. How encouraging to not, to not only know that someone prays for you, but when they pray for you, they're thinking about you and they're giving thanks to God for your life. They're looking at your life, they're thinking about you, and they're giving thanks to God. But, but Paul goes beyond that. It's not just that he's praying, they're praying for them. It's not just that they're thanking God in their prayers, but there are specific things they're mentioning as they give thanks to God. There are spe- specific qualities that they see at work in these believers in Thessalonica, their friends in Thessalonica. They see faith, hope, and love. Have you seen those three virtues elsewhere in Scripture? Paul mentions them quite a bit. They are kind of core virtues of the Christian life, faith, hope, and love. Faith, faith is putting your trust in God. Uh, and generally, it's putting your trust. Uh, it's not just belief. It's trust. It's not just that I think this is true, but I actually am entrusting myself. So Christian faith is entrusting yourself to God, putting your faith in God. Christian hope is, is forward-looking faith. And we were talking about this in the men's meeting Saturday morning, our men's breakfast every, every Saturday, guys. You're welcome to join us at 7 o'clock. We dig into God's Word. We eat some good food, uh, and we, we help each other. So we were talking about uh, Christian hope is not wishful thinking. Like in our culture, hope is like, I hope, I hope the Patriots can really beat the Lions today. Um, that's actually fairly sure, but not entirely. Uh, uh, that's kind of wishful thinking sort of hope. But Christian hope is, is sure hope. It's, it's forward-looking faith. It's, it's kind of an anticipation, a full expectation. That's assured. It's not in doubt. There's no doubt in Christian hope. Uh, that's not what it's saying. It's not wishful thinking. It's just saying, I'm looking forward to tomorrow, the sun coming up. I mean, that's a pretty strong hope, right? But it's even surer than that. So, so faith and hope, and then love, of course. Love, love is caring about someone else and, and their true happiness, uh, enjoying someone else for their sake. Uh, Christian love, and, and love comes from God. This is who God is. Uh, it's a significant and essential aspect of God is his love. Uh, and so he loves uh, in, within the Trinity. The persons of the Trinity love each other from eternity with love beyond measure. And he loves his people. And he loves his creation. God is a God of love. And so these, these three virtues are our core virtues. And so Paul's saying, guys, when we give thanks, we think about your life and we think about the fruit of these virtues in your life. Because uh, if you look, it's not just that faith, hope, and love exist in you, but he's giving thanks for your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of faith. There are aspects connected to these virtues. They're, they're not just generic things. They're specific fruits that go along with it. And so he sees their work of faith, that these guys, they do things because they believe. It's somewhat general. He's going to get more into the specifics soon. But they do things. There, there's re- results. When there's real faith, there's always work, by the way. When someone trusts something, they always act accordingly. And so if you trust in God, if you trust in Christ crucified and risen for your sins and for new life in Him, if you trust in Him, you'll live a certain way. You'll, you'll do certain things. You'll seek to believe and obey Him. You'll seek to bless others. You'll, you'll endure. You'll go countercultural when you have to. 
There's work. There's things you do. And so Paul says, we see your work of faith. He's reminding them, by the way, in this encouragement of how important these 12 virtues are. There's a teaching element here. So their work of faith, their labor of love, that uh, it's a similar sort of word, but your labor, how you, how you live to love and what you do. And maybe he's thinking of specific ways that they, that they care for each other, that they, um, that they sacrifice for each other. They you know, help those who are poor and needy in their midst. They provide meals for those who need help. They, they do certain things. They, there's a labor of love. It's a love for God. It's a love for one another. And then there's steadfastness of hope. He's, he's thanking them for the steadfastness of hope in their lives, that, that, that it's consistent, that they stay and they live as hopeful people. They live looking forward to what really matters, what's coming, this steadfastness of hope. And what a wonderful uh, quality. All these qualities are miraculous qualities that come from God, and Paul's pointing them out. Um, and this steadfastness of hope is such a precious quality. As I was preparing this, I was just thinking of uh, times as a pastor I've been with people as they are dying. And it's, it's really, and I'm, I'm sure for many of us, we've been at a parent's or grandparent's deathbed and been there um, as, they're, as they're passing. And I've been able to do that as a pastor um, multiple times. And, and it's, uh, it's one of the holiest moments uh, in my life and one of the greatest privileges to be there and it's such an encouragement to watch as people are dying who are believers and, and the Spirit of God is in them. And, and even though at times they feel like, you know, my faith is so small, um, I barely have faith. Uh, and I've interacted with people as they struggle. And, and it, you know, it, uh, for some, it's their faith is strong and they just breathe through and go to be with the Lord. Others, it's a struggle. John Bunyan has a picture in Pilgrim's Progress of people crossing the river, and, and uh, he, he has this metaphor of the river, and some walk across the river, and the water's only ankle deep, and they walk across to, to God's presence with no problem. Others, it's deep, and they think they're going to drown. And, and I've been there for both, and I've watched people, but what I've seen in all of God's people is there's hope. And sometimes it's just a tiny little pebble of faith, a little mustard seed of faith at work, and I'll just encourage them of that miracle and I'll, I'll remind them, the fact that you're holding on is a miracle of God. That there's faith in, in light of all that you're going through, because you're, you're on your deathbed, you're suffering, you're sick, and, and for many it's, it's you know, months and years of suffering before that moment comes. And it's a miracle, it's a, it's a holy privilege to be there and watch them set their hope on the Lord. I could tell you different stories, one, one that, that is just, I'll never forget. Some years ago, and many of you wouldn't know, uh, John Mark. And John was a man who came on the original church plant and just loved the Lord and wanted to be part of our uh, church planting. Never got to do that. Um, his, his dream was to be part of one of our first plants. He had this thing. He liked colder weather. He wanted to go north. So he was hoping to plant with us north. And, but he got cancer. And uh, he was relatively young, recently married. And the cancer progressed. And he was, I was there with him. Many of us were there visiting him. And on his deathbed, he's, he, he, he was a man who had ambition, good ambition. He wanted to be married and enjoy life with his wife. He wanted to be part of church plant. He was a, a fantastic uh, IT guy and a, a sound guy. Um, and he wanted to be involved in those things. It, it wasn't that he wanted to die. But on his deathbed, he, 
he, that hope function in his life, and he knew that God is good and he's in control, and I belong to him. And his last words, he repeated them over and over, is, it's better this way. It's better this way. And it was amazing to hear him say that. And it wasn't that he was saying, you know, life stinks and I want to move on. Life is great, but I know God's good and I know heaven's better and God's in control. And so he said it's better this, this way. That's the miracle of these qualities that Paul's reminding the Thessalonians about. The steadfastness of hope, even in the face of such uh, difficulties, to say it's better this way. I trust God. I know it's true. Jesus is real. And, and though I can't understand why now at 42 years old and so forth that, I, that I'm being taken and in the middle of all these things, I don't understand that, but I know my God and He's good and so it's better this way. That's what Paul's doing. He's reminding the Thessalonians of these, of these wonderful core virtues that work in their lives and encouraging them in that. So, brothers and sisters, let us, as we see these qualities in each other, remind each other of these things, point out these core virtues and say, hey, I see in you a faith. You might feel discouraged, but I see faith in these ways. I see love. I see you care for others in these ways. I see you concerned for your neighbors and your extended family, and you are doing things to care for them and represent Christ. I see that. That's evidence of God's work, and that's how we encourage each other. Next, remind them of evidence of, of being chosen and beloved. So that's what Paul does next. He he says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. He's encouraging them by pointing out that they are loved by God and chosen. And this is a powerful means of encouragement to, to remind someone that they belong to God, that they are loved eternally by God, and that they are chosen by God. Um, certainly God loves all people. He desires that all uh, come to him that none perish, that is God's desire. But the reality is people don't, currently are in places where they've not received that. And so though God is loving and would want all that uh, he's made to, to repent and turn and trust him, uh, really the only ones who have done that can be assured that indeed he has loved me from eternity and chosen me. Uh, this is a truth that's behind all other truths. The Bible never compromises the importance of your choice and, and you must choose. Are you going to believe in Jesus and follow him or not? That's your choice. That's a real choice. We're all accountable for that choice. But we learn in Scripture there's the reality that behind our choices ultimately is God's choice, his sovereign reign. I've heard it put this way, that the, the doorway to kind of into heaven says on one side, whosoever will. Uh, and it invites whosoever will, come in and, and believe and repent. But as you walk through, you look back and it says chosen of God on the backside of that door. You, and the truth is that, that behind your choice, to, as it says, who, whoever will, whosoever will, believe, come. It, it's an open invitation. But, but behind it is a God who's active, who's having mercy, who chooses to rescue us, who has loved us from eternity. And this is a, a truth that functions for those who have come to faith. It's not meant to confuse and confound those who are not yet believers. It's meant to encourage and comfort those who are believers because, guys, you don't know, people who don't yet know the Lord, whether they're, they're chosen or not. That's not our business. And if you look at the life of Jesus, he, he related to people in mercy and love regardless. And if God in the flesh does that, then certainly we are to treat people as if everyone's chosen. We are to expect that people are going to believe and come to Christ. 
But for the believer, once coming, this is a, a wonderful truth for us that strengthens us and comforts us and encourages us. And really, there's no more, I don't believe there's a more significant way to be encouraged than to know that behind everything is a God who's loved me from eternity past. He loved me in eternity, and he set his sights on me, and he said in this year, you know, 2018 or whenever, I'm going to reach out and touch them and rescue them, and, and they're going to come to know me. And so behind your salvation is a God who has loved you from eternity and who has chosen you. He's, and you're here not because of your good choice ultimately, though your choice matters. You're here because of his choice and his mercy and his love. And this is meant to encourage you. And it should encourage us in a significant way. Again, I can't think of anything better to know than that we are beloved of God and chosen. That's ground to stand on. That's ground that doesn't move. And Paul points out to them, we know you're chosen or how? How does he know? For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. How do we know that you're beloved of God and chosen? Because when we shared the good news of Christ, this simple message of God in the flesh dying in our place on the cross, paying for our sins, having lived a perfect and glorious and beautiful life in every way, read about Jesus, you'll see that, right? This wonderful life of loving and serving and honoring his Father and blessing others. And then he offered that precious life on the cross because the, the reality and the, and the justice of God, how things work, uh, the wages of sin is death. To, to rebel against God, to turn our backs on God is, is, is a crime. It's wrong. It's evil. And, and the just punishment is, is death. It's to be banished from life. Life is in only in the presence of God. And so the wages of sin is death. And and actually the day that, that uh, well, being born in sin, that's we live in death, and then if we continue in that, we will live in death for eternity. That's what hell is, to, to be apart from God. The wages of sin is death. It, it's just, it's right. But, but the, the love of God, God has so loved us that he sent his son to die in our place, to, to bear on himself your sins. It's, it's amazing. It's that personal. When he went to the cross, it wasn't just a general thing that happened. He went to atone for your sin, should you believe in him. Your sin, the things that you did today or the things that you did two decades ago, those sins he bore on the cross, actually, to pay the penalty so the penalty would be paid so you would be forgiven and freed of any debt associated with that. And in dying, shedding his blood, he totally paid for your sins and he proved that it worked by rising on the third day, victorious over sin and death. That simple gospel message, God in the flesh, dying for our sins, rising again. When understood in the power of the Holy Spirit, changes everything. And so Paul said, as we, as we told you this story, as we told you this truth, as this word was shared with you, it, it didn't come just as a story. It didn't just come as, as words, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Brothers and sisters, in Thessalonica, Paul is saying, we know that he, he loves you and has chosen you because when you heard the gospel, something happened in your life. You went from nice idea to, wow, I believe and I want this and I don't want that other stuff anymore. 
And that's a wonderful miracle. That's really the greatest miracle you could ever experience. To go from nice idea to, oh, wow, I receive this. I believe this. I put my trust in him. And now I'm going to live in this truth and live in him. And so Paul saw that happen in their lives. He saw them hear the word. He saw the miracle of the spirit at work in power through the gospel and full conviction. That they realize, wow, I, I, I have sinned against God, and God is right to, to judge me. I've done evil, and, and He's right. This is true. And I don't want to do it anymore. I want to be forgiven. I want to follow Him. So there's conviction. There's fruits of God's activity in their lives. So Paul is pointing this out and, and saying, guys, you bear this family resemblance of new life in the Spirit and how you respond to the Gospel. So I know you're in the family. I know, therefore, you have been loved from eternity and you are chosen. And so be encouraged. That's what he's doing. He's encouraging them to to realize this, to remember this, to to recognize and live in this wonderful truth of being beloved and chosen. Um, I don't know if you guys followed the recent royal wedding um, with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Anyone watch it at all? You can raise. I, I'm a guy, and I watched it. All right, so I, wa- I didn't watch the whole thing. What was it like, 15 hours or something? I, I just watched the kind of the ceremony. Um, and if you know the story, uh, is uh, Prince Harry, you know, is um, part of the royal family, and Meghan Markle's an American. And if you know her life story, she's kind of a normal American, um, relatively, right? I mean, she's a gifted actress and everything, but she grew up middle class, uh, kind of the normal, uh, common experience of any American. And she met Prince Charming and got married to him. And now she's part of the royal family. And, and, and I, you know, I don't know what Meghan Markle's experience is like, but, but I wonder if she ever wakes up you know, some mornings and just thinks, like, where am I? What's going on? Oh, yeah, I'm married to, the, to Prince Harry. I'm part of the royal family. How do I know? How do I know I'm part of the royal family? Well, I remember the wedding. We got married. It was the whole world watched. And, and I have a ring. And I'm here in the house. I'm part of the royal family. Similarly for us, something's gone on in our lives. We've heard the gospel and we're, we've seen God's activity and we can say now, indeed, we're part of the royal family. We're beloved. We're chosen. We belong to Him. That activity, that miracle of believing the gospel is really a fantastic miracle and assure, it's assurance that we belong and we are beloved and chosen. So, brothers and sisters, Be encouraged and encourage others in this. What a wonderful way to encourage someone. You know what? You may feel really down right now, but I know you belong to God. I know you're loved of God because I've seen his activity in your life. I've seen your faith. I've seen you you be sorry for the things you've done wrong and not want to do them anymore. I've seen a hunger for God and a hunger to love others. You belong to the Lord, so be encouraged. You're part of the royal family. Don't forget that. You may be feeling low, or you may be going through a hard time, but you are beloved and chosen of God himself. Encourage one another with this wonderful truth. Thirdly, Paul encourages them in verses 5-6 through six with evidence of their godly character. Second half of, chap- of verse 5, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He's reminding them that he sees these qualities in them. He sees in them an uh, imitation of them as the, these mature Christians who are on the team, the, the church planting team. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And in, in particular, he's saying, guys, you received the word in affliction with joy. There's this character in you. There's something that has gone on in you that, that you actually would receive the word even though it costs you a lot. Even though it costs you affliction. Even though it costs you the disfavor of your neighbors and your extended family. You still received it. You realize this is more important than, than the opinions of people I love. The, the, this truth of God is more important. And they received it in affliction and they received it with joy. They demonstrated Christian character that says the things of God. And being right with God is, is far more important than anything else. And I'm willing to put up with the difficulty there. And there was actually a joy in it. They received it in joy. They recognized, wow, what we have is so precious. We're joyful even though we're in affliction. That's amazing, actually, to see that, to see people act that way. You, you, you don't act that way unless something's gone in your life that's miraculous and powerful and of God. The reality is that the, the, the world is broken and fallen, and, and it's insane, and we're part of it. There's this insane anti-God thing in all of us, uh, and, and we live in a world that's like that. And, and, and with all the good things that are there, there's lots of good things. It's not, it's not helpful, and I don't think it honors God to, to really only focus on what's bad, because God is good, and he's in control, and he does many good things. He's active. But it's still a broken world, and there's this, there's this anti-God orientation in every culture. And it doesn't really want God. It's interesting how it works. You know, in, in our culture, um, generally speaking, our culture wants just like a little dose of religion. Enough to kind of, you know, produce morally good people, right? If we just get a little bit so that, you know, you're, you're, like, you're a good person. We want you to be kind and generous and respectful and tolerant. Right? Those are the virtues. Those are Christian virtues, by the way, originally. Um, they're not uh, historic virtues outside of Christianity. Uh, but they like that. We like this thing. But don't get too serious about Jesus. Don't, don't, just don't go overboard on the Jesus thing. Just a little bit of Jesus is good. You know? His teaching, we respect him. You know? he's res I mean, his teaching's genius. We get that. You know? uh, do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. you know? Golden rule. Good stuff. Like it. They just don't like the other stuff. So give us a little bit of Jesus. And that's the culture we live in. They, they, they don't want us to, to love morality for God's sake. And when we start doing that, we get opposed. Uh, and, and it's really insane, right? Because, I mean, morality is God's idea. And it works because God is God. And so people, but they want the goodness of God without God himself. Could you imagine as a parent, if your kids were like, Mom and Dad, let me just be straight. I like your cooking. Um, I like the fact that I can drive the car. I like my bedroom, but I really don't like you. And, and would you mind just staying you know, sequestered in the house, like up in your room and then like downstairs and stuff, and let us have the run of the house for the rest of the time? Would that be okay? That's essentially the idea that, that our culture has. And by the way, you know, we're there, right? If God doesn't rescue us, we're there too. Uh, and I give all that background because it's a miracle when someone says, I don't care if others don't like that. 
I want this for Jesus' sake. I want these things for God's sake. And I'm going to live out loud my life in the Lord. And I'm going to love my neighbors, not just because it's a good thing, but because it's a God thing. That's a wonderful thing, and you will be opposed, right? It's, it's everywhere from just kind of a slight amusement. Oh, that's, you know, he's, he's a Jesus freak or whatever, slight amusement, to, you know, in some cultures it's, it's persecution and death. It's the whole range. But, but we live in affliction as believers in that way. And it's wonderful when there's this miracle in people's lives where there's character where they say, I'm willing to put up with that because I know he's so good and his ways are so good. And he's doing something in me and my church community that's so good, it's worth it. And he wants to touch others. And I want to live for him and I want to be part of that. And I know in the end it's going to be glorious when he returns and, and deals with sin and evil once and for all. So because of that, I'm, I'll put up with these things. That's, that's amazing character. That's Christian character. That's what Paul's pointing out. And I just, as I prepare this, I thought, I'm just so glad that I get to be a part of a church that's full of people like that. That love these things for God's sake who are eager to walk in these good things, being generous and kind and considerate and so forth, but for God's sake, and are not afraid to live that out loud in front of others, that, hey, look, I'm here as your good neighbor, not just because I want to be a good neighbor, because Jesus loves me, and he wants me to love you, and I love you in his, in his name. That's who I am. That's, that's the deal here. And I'm glad to be part of a church. It's not easy, though. It can be hard. I remember in college there was a young woman who came to faith, um, a friend of mine, and I was sharing Christ, and she came to believe, and it was wonderful. It was glorious to watch what happened, and, and she came to understand and put her faith in Christ, and, and, uh, and I told her, you know, you, you should tell others about your faith, and she started telling all her friends. Uh, I was a sophomore in college, and so she's telling like, her whole, everyone's, all our, our two dorms and stuff, everyone was talking about this woman, like, whoa, what's going on with, with her? Um, and it was, it was really exciting to watch. And, and then I, I said, we talked, I said, uh, uh, you need to now talk to your parents about your new faith. And that was daunting for her. She came from a Jewish background. Her family was Jewish. And um, so I said I'd pray for her. She went home, and, and she went home and just was praying. She'd have boldness, and, and they would, she'd be able to talk. She came back, and I couldn't find her. That wasn't a good sign. And eventually I caught up with her, and she told me the terrible news. Her family told her, you either choose Jesus or your family. You can't have both. Sadly, she chose her family. And I was heartbroken. Um, and I hope she's changed her mind. But it's no easy thing to follow Jesus. And it's a miracle when people demonstrate the resolve to follow him and to face affliction and then to do it with joy. And guys, I am so glad that I get to be one of your pastors here as you receive the word in affliction in New England. New England's not an easy place, right? It's not majority Christian. Um, it's not an easy place. And, and in some ways, that's probably a good thing. It keeps us sharp. <laughs> um, that, that there's a cost here. And you guys are faithful, and I'm so glad. So, Encourage each other in that. Point that out to each other. When, when we face difficulty, when we face opposition, when, when it's hard, when we're with our extended family, whom we love so much, encourage each other, remind each other, God's at work because I know in the face of that you're still loving the Lord and you're still loving them. You're not giving up on them either. Because they would like you just to kind of shut down, right? 
don't talk about Jesus too much. And now, don't be obnoxious, by the way. But, but they would like you to shut down. And I know you guys don't. You keep on loving them. You keep, the, keep on being there for them. So encourage each other with that. Finally, Paul encourages the Thessalonians by reminding them of evidence of their impact on others, of their compelling lives. So verse 7 and following. He says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, so those are the regions near them, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul's pointing out that there, there's activity in their lives, there's evidence of compelling lives that, that as a result of their faith, as, as a result of their determination to believe, as a result of their conversion and, and their new faith and love for the Lord, people are hearing about it in their whole region and beyond. And, and by the way, guys, this is probably like you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of people hearing about the church in Thessalonica. That's kind of the, the likely scale, given the regions and so forth. And it's going out among the Christians, all the way to uh, Achaia would be uh, in Corinth. So Paul's writing from Corinth and, and probably hearing from people he, he knows in Corinth, other believers, about Thessalonica before he's heard that report. Have you heard about what went on there in Thessalonica and how these people believed and turned and followed and there was dramatic change in their life and now there's a a healthy, vibrant, growing church community. And so their reputation uh, has gone forth and people have heard as a result about the gospel. People are hearing the word spreading. They're hearing about the, what went on in Thessalonica and they're hearing about their lives and Christians as well and, and, and likely non-Christians as well are hearing about the word because that's what Paul says, that the word's going forth. The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you in your region. So there's, so there's impact of the gospel by changed lives going on. And so Paul's pointing that out. Can you, be a, can you imagine being a young believer in Thessalonica and hearing that and thinking, wow, wonderful. Thank God. Me? Us? Really? Having that impact? That, that's, that's, I think, what was going on. Uh, could you imagine, uh, could you imagine, kind of to, to make it equatable to today, people uh, up and down the, the East Coast hearing about King of Grace Church in some way and thinking, wow. Uh, and I don't think we'd be like, wow, aren't we great? We'd be like, why is that happening? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Uh, but wow. Well, I thought about that, and my next thought was, you know what? That's, that in some ways is actually happening. And I want you guys to hear that. Um, your faith your generosity and your love for the gospel and your love for New England is being spread up and down the East Coast and across the country and to some degree overseas within our family of churches. People come up to me and talk to me that when I'm at conferences. We, by the way, have our annual conference coming up early October. And they, at different conferences, they'll come up and they'll ask me what's going on at King of Grace Church. Why? Because we're this little church. You know, maybe if everyone was here at the same time, we'd have 200 people at the most. So we're not a big church. Um, but by God's grace, there's fruit here. There's love for each other. There's love for the gospel. There's love for the mission. 
and through that there are churches being planted. Right? And it's, uh, I tell people, it's, there's, no, there's nothing in us. It's all miracle. I'll just tell you, you know, God gives us the resources and we just seek to be faithful. And so we were able to plant two churches three years ago and, and planting, sending out the Salem Church at the end of this month. And people hear about it. And, uh, and it's, the best thing about it is, is um, that, that as a result of that, other churches that maybe would not have taken the risk to plant or maybe not have taken a risk to give more to global missions or whatever it might be, are now being encouraged to do the same and asking us, how do you guys do it? Tell, tell, tell us how to do it. And I don't have a formula. <laughs> it's, it's God, it's God's resources, and it's just being a faithful steward. That's all we're doing. But your lives are impacting church plants and other churches and are impacting people yet to be reached with the good news of Christ through those church plants. I hope you're encouraged by that. Um, I'm grateful to be in this church full of people that have been impacted by the gospel, are learning to grow and, and be like Jesus, are walking humbly in this, and are producing fruit that's compelling and, and is affecting people. Uh, it's, it's a blessing. It's an encouragement. If the band could come up as I close. Um, so I just encourage you guys to, to be encouraged by these truths, to contemplate their effect for you, and to think, how can I do this with others? Uh, to share and encourage these different ways, to point out to people the core virtues of faith, hope, and love, how they're operating, to, um, to remind people of, of, and remind them of evidence that shows that they belong to God and that therefore God has loved them from eternity and chosen them, to remind them of the evidence of godly character in their lives and in different ways, to remind them of the impact of their, of their lives as well. These four ways. So, as we transition right now, let me just encourage you to take a minute and pray, God, is there one person whom I can encourage? And the first thing to do is just pray. If you do that right now. Um, and thank God for something about them. And that, that, then take that thing, and if you can, write a note, a text, or if they're here, talk to them in person and encourage them. Um, one thing that we do, by the way, too, I forgot to mention in this, it's, it's a, a common practice in our small groups to take time even to, to uh, if there's a brother or sister or a couple that's struggling, to just take time in our small group, whatever, Bible study, youth group, whatever it might be, just to share how you see God at work in their lives. And it's a wonderful practice, uh, just sharing evidences of God's grace in their lives and taking time. So I just want to encourage you in your small group, make that a regular practice. It would be great, actually, if every time you get together, somebody gets to be the focal point for encouragement in that way. So let's take time, though, just to pray in, in that way and consider one person, and then Jeff will transition us to communion.